You make software. We're here to help you do it better. I'm Mark Littlewood. You're listening to the Business of Software podcast, where we share talks from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. You can find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Today, Paul Kenny talks to Michael Pryor about how Michael Pryor and his team almost messed up Trello. Funnily enough, this video came back from production the week before Trello was sold to Atlassian for $475 billion, so they didn't mess it up too much. Hope you enjoy. Um, For those of you I haven't met before, my name is Paul Kenny. I have had the pleasure of presenting at Business of Software, I think every year bar one since 2008. Um, I consider it a privilege to be invited. I never take it for for granted. Um, But um, I'm just kind of curious from the audience um, who, who our veterans are. Um, so, who, who's been coming sort of more, who's, done, who's got more than six businesses softwares under their belt? You have to shout because they've got the lights up, I can't see anymore. Just so, okay. All right, there, yeah, okay, so, okay. Um, who's here for their first one? Oh, all right, fantastic, great, great. So, this year, um, uh, I get a chance to do something a little bit different and I'm absolutely delighted. I get a chance to do an interview with somebody I met way back then um, in 2008. Um, uh, Joel Spolsky invited me along to Fog Creek to talk to some of their um, staff, and I met Michael Pryor. And um, I'm so excited to do this this interview with Michael today, but there's a huge challenge because there's so much that you can talk to Michael about. You can talk to him about the kind of early days of um, Fog Creek and Fog Bugs. I think I met you about version five, six, something like, uh, something like that. Um, but, um, or we could talk to him about many of the other products, Copilot, Kiln, um, Hyperdrive, new, the, the, new, um, product, the new product. You can even talk to Michael um, about the challenges of keeping um, a saltwater aquarium um, in the middle of the office and keeping a whole ton of fish alive that are really difficult um, to, keep, uh, to keep going. But he's agreed to come and talk to us today largely about his, ex- his experiences as CEO of um, Trello. So without further ado, could, could you give a round of applause, please, and welcome to Michael. Thank you very much. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to chat for about 30 minutes or so. Um, and then we're going to open up the floor for a longer um, uh, question session than, than we might uh, with a speaker. Um, so as we go through, please jot down the questions that you want to ask. If you think I haven't pushed him hard enough on any of the detail, then um, feel free to go back to anything, but obviously any questions later on. So Ma- welcome, uh, Thank Michael. You. Welcome. Thanks. Um, I guess um, it would be useful. Actually, how many people use Trello? Are there? Okay. You're okay. You're among friends. Okay. okay. Uh, so. I don't have to explain what it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we don't have to explain what it is, but perhaps you could give us a brief history of Trello in terms of the numbers, the users, sure. the customers. Sure. It, you said you're among friends. It's funny because like, I, I, I probably came to the first or the second business software conference, came to a bunch of them in the early days. Um, it's always been an amazing place to connect with other people and learn about what's actually going on inside software and running a business you know, that has a software business. And I, I want to you know, give back and sort of be really honest and, and open and tell everyone about how we got to where we're at and all the mistakes that we made to get there. So um, you know, we're, we're now, we've had 16 million people sign up to use Trello. Um, 
we've got over a million people using it every single day. Um, you know, a couple months ago, past 10 million in, in annual recurring revenue. So, uh, you know, back if you go way back to when we first launched it, you know, Joel got on stage at TechCrunch Disrupt and said, "Hey, we built this thing. We hope that 100 million people will use it. Maybe one percent of those people." We'll pay us $100 a year and we'll have a $100 million business. And it was sort of ridiculous to say, let's build a product for 100 million people. Um, but 60 million people have already checked it out. It's like, not that yeah. we, if we keep going, it's just. <laughs> I was going to ask, are you going to revise those goals? Yeah. You know, you sort of, they're supposed to be stretch goals, right? right? So, you know, we still have a long way to go. When, I, when new people join the company, I always tell them, I'm like, we're, we're, our, our mission is to Mars, right? We're passing the moon right now, you yeah. know? But it's a long way. It's like four, four days to get to, to the moon and four months to get to Mars. Like, we're not sitting on the launch pad just taking off. Right. Um, there's a lot of risk that's been removed, but there's still so many different things that we have to do and low-hanging fruit we need to go after. And, right. Um, but do you mind if I take you back to the launch pad? Sure. Just briefly, because I think it would be... Uh, Fog Creek is a really interesting company. You have this habit of just keep shipping, deliver, delivering, planning, shipping great tools of all sorts of, for all sorts of markets, all sorts of sizes. Um, mo I think most of which I mentioned um, earlier. What's your process? Where do these Where do these come from? Yeah. So, if you go back to um, the late '90s, uh, Joel and I were working at a software startup in New York City called uh, Juno, which was like a free email provider at the time. You had to dial up and get your email. This is like competing with AOL. And, and we kind of, you know, the, the, the dot-com bubble was kind of happening at that time. And we thought, hey, you know what? Let's go start our own company, which seemed ridiculous at the time. I was, only had one job at that point for two years. And um, we were young. And, and, and so we, we did. We started a company. And the idea was that if you were in New York City at that time and you were a software developer, you really could only work for a bank or an advertising agency. Right. Like there were no startups. There, that was all West Coast. Um, Facebook didn't exist. Like, the, you you were kind of back office a little bit, and we were like, hey, let's build a company around the developers. Developers first, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so we we started Fog Creek not with a mission to build a particular product, but rather to build a place that we wanted to work at. Uh, and it, the, it was interesting when Gail was putting up that chart of that long slog in the beginning, you know, where it's just like flat, you know. <laughs> it was like day in and day out we'd go and, you know, in the beginning you'd make like $100 this day and like 104 this day and then 60 the next day, you know. And it was like yeah. this long, slow process that then when you look back, you're like, okay, the company is growing, but it took so long to get there. Um, but that was the idea was build a company that people, that good developers want to work at and then just experiment, try different things. And over the years, we've built a lot of things. The first thing we ever built was a content management system back in 2000 um, that was probably a good product at that time. Like, it was the right product. People needed content yeah. management. You see, like, WordPress and TypePad. And, but we decided, because people were having trouble installing all these scripts at the time on their web servers to run these CMSs, we were like, hey, let's build a desktop application that does it. So. The wrong incarnation of the right idea. Right. So that was, um, <laughs> you know, that was like one of the first mistakes we ever made was was um, was CityDesk, and lo and behold, we had something that we had built in the in the closet, and we were like, hey, let's just spruce this up a little bit and start selling it, and that was Fogbugs, which was our our uh, our developer project management tool or bug tracker, um, and that just slowly 
gained traction and traction and traction and, and ended up generating a lot of profits for us to experiment with other things. Right. So, so that was your core. Yeah, so. that's been sort of the driving engine of, of revenue or, or that, that has allowed us to experiment with all these other things like Stack Overflow and Trello and yeah. um, Joel's job board and so. Okay, so let's just dig into that because I really want to get to the heart of this kind of process. Because I, I guess there's more than just a bit of magic and a bit of luck um, uh, to it. You know, the, the, what's the point at which people go, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be really cool if we had a product that did? Or is there, a, is there a, a kind of design thinking process that goes into it? Or is it, how, how do you, where does it come from? So I'll, I'll talk about Trello specifically yeah. and how we got there. So this was a little bit later, so this is about 2010. Uh -huh. um, so we had built a bunch of products, learned a lot of lessons. Um, gotten beaten in the market a little bit, you know, and, and we're sort of um, coming to those points in time where you're kind of like, okay, what's next? And we, we went to, we had these things called Creek Weeks, where you basically just spend a week, let's experiment, do different things. Everyone in the company is kind of experimenting. Um, and one of the ideas at the time was, um, Joel had this idea, he, we, we were, you know, as managers, you're kind of like, what is everyone working on? You're like, I, I see them come in and they're typing code, but I have no idea if, if I don't understand if, if we're doing things at a strategic level or are we just solving the problems that are painful to them as yeah. an individual. So we, we, he had this silly idea at the time that was, what if everyone had a to-do list, but the list was only five items long? Right. And you have two items that you're working on, you know, one, that you're working on now, and then one while your code is compiling, and then two things that are up next to fill those slots, and then one thing you're never gonna work on. Right. So it's sort of like everyone can see it, and you're like, don't even ask me about this, because I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> um, and he was, we, you know, historically we're not so great at naming, and we'll, we'll come back to that, but we were gonna name it Five Things. Um, or Five Camels, I don't know, it was the animal <laughs> yeah. theme, so. Um, but, but there, there was like a, a nugget of something in there that we were kind of like, look, we build a, an app that lets you track things and, and wrap your head around development projects. So what is the problem that we're having as managers with, with that detail view? Like why we're trying to raise it up and be like, I wanna constrain people to just be like, what are you working on just right yeah. now? And that was the idea for five things. That kind of merged with, as we went around and we saw all these startups and incubators, you'd walk into one of these offices where like an incubator with like 20 startups working and on the wall would just be sticky notes everywhere, right? We'd go into our own software developers offices and they would have sticky notes on their, on their whiteboard, yeah. right? And so everyone's doing Agile, Kanban, Scrum. Yeah. And so the, the, the trick there was then we said, they're getting a lot of value out of this and we decided that the world could get a lot of value out of this. That this metaphor that people were using and the sort of level of perspective that five things gave you mm -hmm. um, was important to people to wrap their heads around something that they're working on. Mm -hmm. And that everyone could understand the sticky notes on a whiteboard thing. Yeah. And that if we're gonna build that, there were already a thousand Kanban tools out there. We weren't build, building a tool for developers. We decided, let's bring this to all teams. It doesn't matter if you're in sales or marketing. In fact. Developers are not our target, which is actually tricky for us because pretty much everyone that knew us were developers, right? Absolutely, and I was going to ask because this is a this is a real departure, isn't it? Because all your products to date have really been for the fan base. 
um, people who knew. So you had automatic communication channels to them, et cetera. How do you go about articulating what a product is like Trello that is so much more yeah. than that? I think the idea was, you know, we had been competing in that space, in the developer tools space for so long and um, doing well. Uh, clearly Atlassian at that point was doing much better than us. Yeah. And um, we were trying to think, okay, in the future, what do we want to be doing? Like, where do we want to be going? And um, that building that horizontal tool had never been something that we did before. So it's sort of hard because who, who are you targeting? Who are you marketing to? Who are you selling to? It's mm. everyone. That's, yeah. that's like, that's kind of, um, it's great because your target market is huge, but it's awful because you can't target anybody individually. Mm. Um, and so we would get, uh, we knew we were going to get these kinds of feature requests, but um, early on, a lot of the things that people asked us for, they were coming from their developer mindset, this project management mindset, mm -hmm. you know, tasks, milestones, dependencies, they would say, how can I do dependencies in Trello? Or how can I do, uh, uh, how do I see my Gantt chart? Or, yeah. or milestones? Or, and it's like all that language that you're using is not what we're doing with Trello. Right. And so we had to listen and sort of go below the surface of what they were asking for, not the feature that they were asking for, but look at their workflow and find the pain point right. that they were having. It's sort of like, well, tell me about why you need that. You know. And how do you do that? Was, that? was that your devs talking to users? Was it the com, you know, conference in, networking? Yeah, it's a it? support, right. sales, the PMs. I mean, at the, in the beginning, you know, when Trello was 15 people, it was mm -hmm. the devs because we were yeah. PMs and yeah. you know, support. and We were doing everything. Yeah. But um, it's just customer interviews, those sorts of things. We, ha we actually had, uh, we had a Trello board up in the early days that was a two-way communication channel for what was happening, like the roadmap, basically. Yeah. And the way that it worked very early on, this was this is going to be another mistake that we made. So the way that it worked early on was you could just go and put up a request, right. or you could vote for a, an existing feature request. Right. And I think very early on at an early stage where you don't know which direction your product is going, that can be super useful because it can you can it's a way to collect information and hear from your customers, but as you start to hone in and know where you're going, it can also create friction. Yeah. Because there were a ton of people that were asking for dependencies, mm. right? And it was just not something that we were building. I wasn't building a project management application. I was building something much different. I was trying to actually, we were trying to define a new category um, of, of application. And I get that a lot of people would use Trello for project management, but that was just one tiny piece of what we wanted people to use it for. Um, so that board actually evolved over time to be less of, uh, you know, vote for what you want and we'll build it because that's, that's essentially the message that we were giving mm -hmm. them early on, which worked for a while, to um, here's what we're working on, right. right? Like here's our roadmap, here's what's coming up. Um, and, you know, so it, it took us a while to get there and it caused a little bit of pain in, in the interim because there were people that, were, that said this feature has... 1,200 votes on it. Why haven't you done it? Yeah. You know, and it's just because, well, that's not Trello. Right. And what do people, I mean, do you tell them directly that we're not doing it, or do you just let the interest wane when those things, you know, once you've decided to do this different channel of communication? Yeah, we just, we changed the way the board worked to sort, because we needed to have those conversations with people. It wasn't going to be like, just vote for whatever feature you want, yeah. right? Because that wasn't helping us understand, because we had to build features that are very horizontal layer. Like, if I'm going to build something, I need 
the salesperson and the marketing person to get a you know to get value out of it yeah. right so you may ask for something from your sales perspective for example you look at a Trello list and you're like all right I have my deals in a list each card is a deal and I want to know what my pipeline looks like yeah. what's the total value of my pipeline some other developer comes along and he's like I put all my my tasks in the list and they all have story points and I want to know what my what my sprint, how long it's going to take, yeah. what you know, that kind of thing. Both of those things, it's like, okay, great. You could have a feature that adds up numbers on a card and tells you the total at the top. That's a very simple way yeah. of understanding that there's a connection between those two requests. But if you just listen to the person that's asking it, all you're going to get is, oh, we have to have story points in Trello. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or, or we have to have pipeline values in Trello. Or, right. So. Okay. If I can move on a little bit, Sure. Um, you, you, you touched on the name um, Trello, and I, I, I think this is an area that, that people at this conference, you know, most people have had naming nightmares of some sort or the other uh, over the years. And I, I was in a meeting with an a, a events organizer in London, and the, uh, halfway through this meeting, the, the account director leant across the table to the account manager and said, have you got all that? And she said, don't worry, I've Trelloed it. Um, and so you've clearly managed to, you, I guess there's a sign, you, you've managed, when, when you become a verb, then you, you've, you've hit the, the, the nail on the, uh, on the head. Where did it come from? And you know, what went into the creation of the, the name? So, you know, if you, look, Fogbooks is an awesome application with an yeah. awful name, right? Like, yeah. And I think okay. like, um, you know, it's, it's hard, naming is really hard. Um, especially when you're trying to own the dot, the dot com and you have these constraints against like not misspelling it because if you tell somebody the word and then they spell it wrong, they end up at the wrong place or you don't, you don't want it to be too long, you're trying to be unique. And um, so when we, we had named Trello Trellis internally, that was the code name of the project. So early on, it was just called Trellis. The reason was that we were trying to provide a structure for people to put their process on top yeah. of, right? Like it, it was just a, a building block for you to apply your process to and a, like a trellis is a structure for plants to grow yeah. on, okay? So when we got closer to TechCrunch Disrupt and we knew this deadline was coming up and we had to have a site that it lived on, we tried every manner of that name. We tried to get trellis.com, trellis.is, um, you know, which was less, mm. there, you know, you really want to own the .com, yeah. so, um, we, we bought names, uh, a list of names from people to go through. We tried to crowdsource our name internally. Um, Stack Overflow actually was crowdsourced from the community. Right. Uh, and that worked out fine. It's a pretty long. Uh, but the, we, we got to this point where we we're probably, I don't know, two weeks away. We basically had a deadline. We're like, we got to get this site up. We got to pick it. And we weren't getting any closer to a final name. Mm -hmm. So we got everyone together in the kitchen of the office and we started having people vote on different names. And this is the worst idea ever. Like, right. <laughs> it's like crowdsourcing design, right? Like yeah. you, there's, there's something, you can't just have everyone vote because you'll get the like, you know, the least objectionable name instead of a good one. And actually the ones that we came up with were actually Awful. So I'll tell you, we, the Trello was this far away from being named um, uh, Planity, 
which is like a, a combination of planning and manatee. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it true that, that, um, that cardvark was also? Ca cardvark was the <laughs> other one, a card and an aardvark. Because we, we, like, we, we like mascots, so this is, this is Taco the Husky, which is the name of Joel's actual dog, who is a husky, so that's Taco. But we, before we had Taco, we had a manatee that was kind of the, the stand-in mascot. So that was where Planetee came up with. And people were like, oh, it's fine, I guess. Because we, you know, we had been through this process, yeah. and they just wanted to have it over with. And I said to Joel, I was like, I was like come on. Like, we can't repeat the fog bugs thing. Like, we, we, we can't do this. Yeah. I had come up with a trellis code name, so I was like watching it go from trellis to Planetee, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> So he's like, look, you've got, you've got two hours. He's like, just come back with something different. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, it's, we have a deadline. Right. So I went back to my desk, and um, one of the early Fog Creek employees who was working at Trello then, uh, Bob Eck and I just sat there, and we're, we're in this uh, instant domain search mm -hmm. website where you just type things, yeah. and it tells you if it's available. Right. So you type Trellis, you know, you type all this, you're typing card, planning, da, da, da. Like, all this different stuff. You know, and we're bootstrap startups. It's not like we got a lot of money, yeah. so what what domains are available for a couple grand. Yeah. Um, I did this for like half an hour. You know, I'm just like sitting there with my hand, or my head in my hands, and I'm like, okay, that's it. Like, I guess it, and, you know, and I type Trellis one more time, and an ad pops up from a domain brokerage for Trello.com. Right. And it just sort of like, I was kind of like, it's short. You can't misspell it. I don't know, it's weird. It sounds like Jello. Mm -hmm. Hello. <laughs> So I ran throughout the office and I was like, all right, what do you think about, let me, tell me what do you think? I'm like, what do you think about Trello? And people would say the same thing. They're like, eh, fine. It sounds like Jello. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> but no one hated it. No one right. was like, oh my God, it's awful. Whereas Planety, clearly there were people in the yeah. office that were like, this is the worst mistake we're ever making. <laughs> so, you know, we were like, it was, it was, I think it was like three grand or five grand right. or something like that. But when you buy it through the domain brokerage service, you have to buy it and you have to wait because yeah. they go back to the seller and yeah. it's like this whole process. And we're, I was like, buy it, buy it, you know, and then waiting, like, <laughs> please. And, and we got it. So that's where we came up with the name. And the idea now, it's kind of interesting because I think if I could go back in time, the one thing missing from the name, so it's short, it's easily spellable. In other languages, it's pretty easy to say. Yeah. Um, the one thing that it doesn't do is it doesn't give you any implication of what Trello is. Like, it doesn't imply what it's for or what it does right. or anything like that. So that's a little bit missing. But because we've gotten so much scale and people are using it, we've kind of gotten ahead of that. When you see everyone that kind of clones that metaphor, that boardless card metaphor in their apps, like Microsoft has a, has a clone, uh, a straight-up clone of Trello, but other apps have kind of added that visual interface to their apps, like Smartsheet and Todoist. And um, when they copy that, when the press writes about it, they always talk about it as a Trello, yeah. or a Trello competitor, Trello -like. or a Trello-like. Yeah. So I think we've accomplished that goal of, you know, there's still more, there's still a lot of people that haven't heard about it, but we've gotten a lot of ground there. Sure, so that again, is that's part of the core that you now protect. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So you started off by giving it away. And I guess the first people to use it were your fan base, were the, de the, the developers. And there must have been a lot of organic growth just as they invited people to their, um, to, to their, their boards. And after all this kind of early spike of, of, of growth, what, what was it that made you decide to start charging when you did? So if you're gonna build a tool for a horizontal market, you know, like, and especially a collaboration tool, like it's, it, 
we were sitting there saying, you know, it's it's weird being a business software because back in the day it was always like charge for your product, right? The Basecamp, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. in Fog Creek, it was like, don't give it away for free, charge mm -hmm. for it. So like, why do we give it away for free? The idea was the market that we were targeting, this very horizontal market. The fact that it was collaborative meant that we didn't want to put any impediments in the way, right? Pricing is an impediment; yeah. it's friction. Um, so we were like, if we really want to be the Trello. If we want to go from nobody knows about this and go into these markets where people have never heard about Fog Creek or mm -hmm. Joel or, you know, how are we going to do that? It had to be free, right? right? We had to give a ton of value away to people. And in, in fact, that was when Joel said 100 million users, 1% of which get a ton of value out of it that we charge $100. That was implicit in that model, yeah. right? Big number, charge a small fraction make a yeah. bunch of money. But we were making a decent amount of money off of Fogbugs, and so we were self-funding the, the, you know, the creation of Trello, and we weren't worried about monetizing yeah. it at this point in time. We were just focused on the product, focused on the product, focused on the product. Couple years in, um, we started hearing people say, I'm not gonna use that because they're just gonna shut it down. They're not charging for it, it's just gonna go away. And this was around the time that Google Reader kind of shut down. Like right, there was okay. a couple free apps that people had bet on yeah. and then that had been shut down. And so people were kind of like, it turned out that not charging people was actually friction to them using the product. So we were like, okay, let's just stop for a second and lay down a dirt path. Like so right. people can understand where we're going with this monetization. Later we'll pave it, make a four lane highway, mm -hmm. you know, put it on exit ramps. Um, but right now it's just gonna be a dirt path. Uh, let's not spend too much time on it. Just give them a way to pay us. Mm -hmm. And so we went around a little bit on that and what we were going to do for a pricing model. Um, and one of the arguments that we were having was we didn't want to invent something that was totally inorganic, like charge per board yeah. or charge per card or charge yeah. per list, because that was something that you have to explain to people. They're not, that doesn't. Like in, if you're a storage provider, like if you're Dropbox or Box or Google Drive, like people get that you pay for storage. That's just a thing that people understand. Yeah. But in Trello land, no one would get that you had to pay per board or whatever. Right. Um, so we couldn't come up with a great metric there. The, other, the obvious one is charge per user. Mm -hmm. The problem is in a collaborative tool that inhibits yeah. the virality, inhibits the growth. Um, so Joel um, said, look, we're never gonna come up with a perfect answer. We just need something for right now. He says, let's just charge a flat fee per company. And like Intercom did this, HubSpot did this. I think, you know, we did it. Yeah. Dumbest thing we ever did. Yeah. Wait, did I already say, I said that a couple about other things already, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna quote you that back on you. The dumbest thing we ever did. What were the consequences? Okay, so that? the problem with this is, and you know, I'm not saying that you should never do this. It just depends on your specific market and your target yeah. and um but for us it we left it for too long like it was good for that moment in time because what we needed was just to put down the dirt yeah. path but we left it there for too long and what happened was all our customers grew okay. but the amount of money that they were paying us was the same and so they got anchored at this infinitesimally small number in fact we had people that were paying us essentially like four cents per user per year right Okay, because of the number of users that they had. Okay. So then when we finally decided, we're gonna, you know what? Like, pull the bandaid off. We're gonna switch to a per user model. Well, it was always easy for us to do that for new customers. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we did that for new customers and left the old people grandfathered for a very long period of time. But at some point in time, it was just, it was really 
confusing for the metrics. It's like, how many paying customers do you have? Well, we have this number, but this portion only pays us this amount. You know, and it was like, at some point, we just have to like move them into the future. We also had left the grandfathered flat rate, is what I call the yeah. one price, flat rate customers on a specific version of the product that only had a couple features. Right. Like, and so we didn't, when we added new features, we added it into the new product with the per user pricing model. And so they were on this very old product. They weren't getting all the new stuff that we were working on. And it created this weird dynamic. So eventually, over time, we had to make the decision to say, okay, we're going to turn that off. Right. right. And that's a, that's a process. Yeah. Um, and you're going to break some eggs. I don't, I don't really have great advice like how to do it perfectly, but like we gave people warning, we gave them discount codes. Yeah. But there were some people that just, you know, they write me an email this long. And I responded to yeah. every one of them individually oh, right. okay. and said, look, you know, I'm trying to run a business. You're paying me four cents. It was always the people yeah. that were paying four cents a user. Yeah, right? and absolutely. You're like, yeah. And the nice thing for me was I said, I literally just don't want you to pay me. Use Trello for free. Yeah. It's barely any different than what you're paying for because there's not that yeah. many features in this pro the paid product that th because at that point in yeah. time there wasn't much in there. And so let me convince you to pay for the thing that I'm selling now, right? right? But luckily, they didn't have to stop using Trello. Mm -hmm. They could just keep using it. It's the free version, right? Yeah. Because we were basically... So there's no turning off. Of right. The, they didn't have yeah. to leave. They yeah. just got like some features that just disappeared. So, okay. um, and we kind of weathered that storm and are still in the process of every month, you know, the people that renew or aren't renewing. Yeah. And so Do you have a sense of kind of what proportions of people have migrated over from that $200 flat fee. I don't know percentage wise, but it's a, it's a fair, it's a it's more than 50%. Right. More okay. Than, I don't know exactly, but okay, cool. One of the things that I, I want to ask you about, because I, I, get, I, like many of the people in this room, get my regular email and um, Twitter updates from Taco um, to tell me the latest uh, features and the things that are, uh, are, are adding. And, and I think it's been a consistent um, theme of this conference in the eight, nine, the 10 years that, that I've been coming here, is, is um, people have stood up and said, you know, be careful of feature bloat. I mean, Gail said it this morning, Steve Johnson said it, um, you know, Rich Miranoff said it, Cathy Sierra said it, whatever. How do, you do, how do you prioritize those features given the breadth of your audience? Yeah, it's tricky. Um, the, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what our strategy was. Like, you, if you're going to build a tool that everyone uses and you get to that kind of scale where you look at a company like you know, big Fortune 100 company and there's just thousands of users at that company using your tool, um, there's going to be a lot of requests for different things. And I think, like, if you think about, you know, what we were trying to build with Trello, it was really this building block for you to define a tool to work the way you work yeah. instead of giving you a grammar and a construct and for you to put your data into. So for example, you know, we could have built a tool that was like, we have tasks and we have milestones and you put your, give me, tell me what your task is and then I'll tell you when it's due. And um, the nice thing about a tool like that, a very vertical tool, it's focused on managing a specific project and that, that kind of vocabulary, is that when you put the data in, it can tell you all these things. It can be like, you're gonna be late, these people are overdue. Right. You know, but I think a lot of the ways that people use Trello is it, it depends on their process and their kind of business, right? And they mold it to work that they work, the way that they work. So it was much more about presenting 
a metaphor, which is a list of lists, yeah. right? It's cards on a board. Yeah. Um, and, and then figuring out how to allow people to extend that. And so from the very early days, we always had this idea of what we call power-ups, right. which are integrations or advanced features. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea was that it was like a separate thing that you could turn on per board. Yeah. So, you get a, so basically, if you understood cards in a list on a board, and you went to Trello, you would just get that. That was the base level. You didn't have to learn anything about Trello. It's very easy to get into Trello. Yeah. You don't have to. But then over time, you could add, turn on these advanced features in like custom fields or card voting or card aging, where like if you don't touch cards, they start to look old. Yeah. Um, and, and features like that, you know, if you think about a pivot table in Excel, for example, like Excel is a very similar model where it's like, we're just going to give you a grid. You're going to enter your data in there, the numbers that you want, and you're going to tell us, you're going to define the cell. This cell is a formula for this yeah. cell. This is how they relate. Here's where the headers are. I'm going to put a chart over here. I'm going to add another sheet. Mm -hmm. I'm defining a model as I go. Right. And I'm adding the data as I go. It's very similar to the way that you build out a Trello board. Yeah. Right. And you, know, you don't have to know what a pivot table is when you get into Excel. But over the course of history, as you get more advanced with Excel, and then somehow somebody shows you this thing, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> I get, oh, wow. And now you become like an advanced Excel user. Yeah. And then even, even then, when you still think you're an advanced user, and Joel sits down and gives a talk about why you suck at Excel, uh, which is on YouTube if you want to watch it, it'll blow your mind. And it's literally called Why You Suck at Excel. Uh, you, you could use Excel for 15 years, and you'd still be like, I never knew it did that. Right. Um, but, but the idea is to give people those building blocks through power-ups and allow them to take a board and turn it into an application that solves some specific business yeah. process. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're doing. So okay. that's how we're attacking the problem of feature bloat. It's build those horizontal features, give people what they need to build the tool that they need to solve their job. Okay. And, and who do you take inspiration from? Because the other way of, of, of working out what customers want is look at how they use other products that they use for collaboration or for yeah, other people that you take, you take inspiration from, either not so much in the product features, but in things like the pricing, the packaging. The... Yeah, I mean, we, we obviously work super closely with Slack. Mm -hmm. um, and I think um, we use Slack internally. They use Trello. It's like we, the way that they price their product, has, we've taken a lot of, what's the word? We, we, we've looked at what they've done and, and, and copied it. That was, yeah. we, we've, we've taken yeah. inspiration <laughs> from it. Taken inspiration yeah, is the term, yeah. We'll edit that bit out of the video. Don't worry. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, those two apps are so complementary to each yeah. other. Um, you know, I tell the story about if you were out doing search and rescue in the woods, like the things that you would need was you'd need your radio, mm -hmm. right, to talk to people, which is Slack. Yeah. But you'd also need your GPS, right? right? You'd want to know where you were mm -hmm. and where you were going and where you've been, and that's Trello, right? right? So both of those things work very closely together about providing the direction and the blueprint for what you're going to do. Like, what is the current state of what we're doing? And yeah. everyone can come together and see that on the Trello board. It's like, every, whenever anyone looks at a Trello board, they see the same thing. Right. Right? It's yeah. not your view yeah. and then my view. It's not like I'm querying the database to tell me, oh, what issues do I have mm -hmm. to do today? It's much more about, like, here's the blueprint for the house. Like, we right. can all look at it. And then we're talking about building the house. That's the Slack the portion. Slack. But they work really well together about, you know, for doing something, whatever that project is. Okay. 
Now, being the salesman that I am, I've got to ask now about how you are, um, as you started, as you're charging and how you're dealing with bigger clients, how you're going about professionalizing the sales um, there. Yeah, so um, being developers, Joel and I have, uh, don't have a lot of sales experience. And if you look back at the early days of Fog Creek, you know, we didn't know anything about running a company either. And we sort of just taught ourselves along the way. But at the time, we had to build our own billing systems, right? Like yeah. Stripe and Braintree didn't exist then. So we had this philosophy of, you know, well, we'll just figure it out. We're smart people, we'll just figure it out. So we tried to do sales, um, total failure, every time we tried to do it. Um, and I think maybe it's because of our mindset as developers. But mm -hmm. the one time that it started to work for us was when we said, look, let's hire a talented VP of sales. Instead of hiring the salespeople first and then bringing a VP, um, let's hire the VP, have them do some selling, understand the product, and then let them build out a sales yeah. team because they understand that world, right? right? And we just don't. Right. And that was super successful for us at Stack, Stack Overflow. And uh, I, I took that same model at Trello. I, I went to a, an amazing saleswoman that worked for us at Fog Creek previously and had gone somewhere else and I said, hey, we don't really have a sales team, it's all self-serve, but uh, would you come and try to sell Trello into these enterprises? We've right. got these companies that have thousands of users of yeah. Trello. We don't have an enterprise product. I don't know what the pricing would be, hmm. but just go out there and sell it and right. see what you can yeah. find out. Yeah. So she did, she went out there, she sold the product. You know, Initially it was like, uh, you know, dedicated support person, right? It was no code. You didn't yeah, have to write any code. It was like these fun things that you would get. Um, and, you know, took the price up, up, up to see what we could get for the ARPU. And, you know, over time, then we started building these SSO features yeah. and these, these user administration features and building out that enterprise product as we were talking to them and finding their pain points. And then we would hire the salespeople to sell it. And it was just this thing, this process that we went through that worked really well. Okay, cool. And what's the future at Trello now? And uh, what, what, what's making you? What's going to make you scratch your head over well, the next 12, 18 months? You know, when we set out, you said before the 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 woman that you were talking to was like, "Oh, did you Trello that?" Yeah. Like, and that idea of becoming a word that people use that they understand that this like if we're the word that they use for that metaphor, like awesome, yeah. great. Yeah. Now everyone's copying that metaphor. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's awesome too. But what's next? Yeah. Right. If that's if now that starts to become like, well, everyone presents their information like that. What makes Trello special? And I think a lot of the work that we're doing in the recent release that we did to make power ups free for everyone, so all 16 million people that have signed up for Trello can use them, yeah. has been around that idea, which is how do you take a board, a Trello board, and turn it into like a real application for you to use? Like, how is this for the sales team? How do they use Trello as their CRM? Or how does the HR team use Trello as their ATS? Not that we're gonna necessarily build all those different vertical apps, but that we understand that you can take these power-ups, layer them onto your board, and build a process that's unique to you and solves your own personal yeah. business needs. And is this with um, external developers working? Both. That, right. Yeah, okay. so that platform's open so anyone can build on top of it. If you made a power up, 16 million people could get access to it. Right. And so we've had people that do that, like Harvest is the time tracking app they've done it. Right. Obviously like Salesforce, uh, Zendesk, like a lot of Slack, bigger companies have built integrations. And I, I think you're gonna see that, that more, the experience that those apps deliver 
people will be delivering that same experience in Trello. Brilliant. Listen, thank you. I think it's time we opened up to the audience. So if anybody has a question for the CEO of Planity, um, then <laughs> you can. You're right. It doesn't actually roll off the tongue, does it? So perhaps if we could have the It'd be a cool t-shirt lights though. up, Thanks. please, and then we can see who's got raised hands. Uh, we can. I really can. Oh, there we go. Hi. How's it going? That's the first question. <laughs> How are you using usage data? So uh, is it impacting feature uh, requests, or are you using it to improve sales? Just curious how you're using that type of data. I th I th right now, I think we're, there's, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit um, in the new user experience and how people get invited to boards. And a lot of what we're focused on has been looking at the journey of, you know, somebody tells somebody about Trello, they come in to the website, how do they get into the app, what is, how do they learn about what Trello is versus somebody invites somebody to a very specific board and they come in through that direction. And just basically our new user acquisitions and um, is one thing that's helping direct where the product development is going. Um, we look at a lot of stuff on mobile. We, we've been doing a lot of experiments around offline mode. And we had this goal very early on that uh, when you use your phone, we want it to work offline if you go on the subway and that kind of thing. You know, there's a lot of different nuances there. Like, do you want sync conflicts to happen when the person comes back up? If somebody edited that card in a different way, how does that get resolved? And maybe that matters and maybe it doesn't. Maybe people don't care and the last person that changed the card wins. And so we've done a lot of uh, trying to study when, how often that happens, when does it happen, is it worth targeting, is it worth even fixing? Um, because maybe people don't care. They just want to know that when they open their Trello on the airplane and they don't have Wi-Fi yet that they can still see their board and add a card. And then that's people are golden. So um, it's very product focused at the moment. Thank you. There was a guys. Oh, sorry, I can't. Just okay. one more thing about that. We use a we'll tool called Snowplow that's been really useful for acquiring analytics, and then we put that up into Redshift in Amazon, and basically, uh, and then we use a product called Mode Analytics to write queries and reports on top of it. Those three things have worked really awesome together. Fantastic. We're I'm, going I'm, up here. We're I'm going fascinated up here. by <clears throat> this idea of power-ups which adds value to your users and your partners. And I'm, I'm curious about how you feel about monetizing it, because as a privately held company, do you really care about revenue that much, or do you care about just you know, having fun and you know, making a decent living, not being billionaires or whatever? I mean, how, how, do, how, does, how does the idea of power-ups, which adds complexity, which can result in new packaging, and, and new monetization opportunities play into your revenue model? Um, so you know, the question was about power-ups and, and revenue. And I think you know, we're still in the early stages of understanding what people want to build and how they want to do it. I've, you've seen a lot of, like we've seen people, before we even had the power-ups architecture, we saw a lot of people building Chrome extensions on top of Trello. And some of them were even monetizing that and selling that service for agile reports or um, you know, time tracking, for example. So we knew there was a need for people to extend their Trello boards. And so building that PowerPoint architecture was part of that, that platform for allowing people to tie into Trello and build on top of it. The natural extension of that is if you look at other platforms like 
Slack or Salesforce or their app stores and the app, the app exchanges, um, you know, maybe working with the, the partners to as a revenue stream. For example, um, you might build a really amazing, cool CRM experience on top of Trello and then be able to sell that as a competitor to Close.io or even Salesforce, right? And then if, you know, it's probably not something we're going to focus on, but if somebody wanted to do that, how would they, how would that process be seamless? So it is something we're thinking about. I don't, we don't have any immediate plans to, there's a lot of other stuff that we're working on at the moment, but it's, it's definitely in our vision of the future. Um, so. Okay. We have a question over here. You talked a little bit about onboarding. Hi. <laughs> and the use case of somebody kind of coming in for the first time and you know maybe they heard about Trello or they read about it or they heard somebody in a meeting saying they got Trelloed and were curious about that. What have you guys learned about kind of the aha moments of somebody coming in? Where do they find value? Like have you learned anything that surprised you? And then what, what have you done to get people to that value as quickly as possible? Well, I think you know early on it wasn't something we ever made a priority because we just we had so much organic growth uh, coming from people inviting other people to their boards, and we were just focused on the product. So we didn't actually pay too much attention to the website, what was on it, how they signed up. It was just sort of, oh, we have a website; it's working, it's great. We're adding hundreds of thousands of users a week. Um, okay, but you know, as we get further along and we're and we're a more mature company, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there to, to look at. We've, we've taken inspiration from a lot of things that Quip has done. Um, if you look at the new user experience of Quip, they actually had a dedicated product team to going through every one of those steps and looking at how that happens. Like, for example, if you sign up for Quip with a Gmail, a Google Apps address, so not a Gmail address, but your domain is managed by Google Apps, they, like when you type that email address in and then hit next, they show you a button to log in with Google. So they're going on the server side and checking and they're seeing that your, your MX record is coming from Google. So they know you're a Google ass person and then they're just like, just come in through Google. And then they, they, they let you skip all this other stuff. You don't need a password. They know um, what you're, you've authenticated the domain that you're in so you can now connect people to the same people in the same domain. Uh, There's all, all kinds of little, tricks that you can do on the, that experience of coming in and not thinking of it as, oh, there's a website, then there's a sign-up process, and then, I, then there's people in the app. Right? It's not, that's not the experience from the end user's perspective. It's this whole seamless thing. And um, I think that iteration and change is what we're going through internally and thinking about right now. Okay, okay we have someone in the middle here. Hi. Hi. So my question is, you said that you at, at some point um, you decided to bring in a VP of sales because neither of you had any experience with that. And so I'm curious, when you're looking to bring on somebody when you don't have any direct experience or knowledge, how you evaluate that particular person and make sure they come in? And was there anything, other than talking to Paul and obviously getting his suggestions on a good yeah. salesperson, but <laughs> in general, how do you evaluate and were there any challenges or any techniques or suggestions to try and find somebody when you at the executive team like don't have direct experience in whatever role you're trying to bring in. Well, we um, we had two miss we like I don't, maybe we've hired probably like five people in that position over the years because they had Fog Creek, Stack Stack Overflow, Trello, um, and two of them didn't work. Um, I think like we went to find people that were had direct sales experience and 
um, you know, a lot of times you just don't know until the person gets in there. In the case of Trello today, uh, our VP of sales, she had worked previously at Fog Creek, so we knew her and we knew what she was capable of and she was amazing and continues to be amazing. So that was a little bit easier, um, even though some of the, the, the challenges that we threw at her, we didn't know how she would perform. But as far as, far as the, it, particularly for us being a developer focused company and our backgrounds as, as product people, Joel and I, you know, it's really important that we, don't, we get the right kind of sales philosophy and the right kind of sales team, um, which is difficult in sales, I think. Um, it's probably getting better. I think a lot of the, you know, people like um, Mark Robert from HubSpot and, and a lot of the, the education around sales and how sales is done in this, in this new economy where software sales is a lot of bottom up. Right, instead of the top down with my Rolex, I roll into your CIO and your CTO and I'm like, let's go play golf. And uh, you know, the bro atmosphere, like that, that just doesn't happen anymore. You build a good product, the team brings it in and that's a lot of the sales experience. Um, the sales function is getting a lot better in the philosophy around it. So I think it's just important to, we, we have salespeople, when they come in, we have them sell our product. So it doesn't matter if it's a VP of sales or it's an actual salesperson. We're, we're big on the audition-based interview. And so we give them a little bit of uh, you know, prep, and we say, come in and sell our management team, sell us Trello. And so they come in and they do a PowerPoint or whatever. And a lot of times, we don't give them material, so it's interesting to see what people come up with. I don't care about the facts that they use. Like the facts might be wrong because they don't understand the intricacies of how it's sold. But like the level of presentation that they come up with, do they just like hand you a thing that they printed out? They come in with no, no uh, presentation. You know, like those sorts of things help you understand like, is this person prepared? Yeah. Do they know? And then at the end of the interview, when we say, awesome, great, thanks. Or at the end of the sales pitch, we say, thanks. Do they then try to close us? Absolutely. Right? What's the follow-up? You'd be surprised at how many people just don't follow up yeah. at the end. They're not like, all right, so we'll put you on the calendar for next week to follow up. Great. You know, so we just look for that just it's like FizzBuzz in a developer programmer, right? <laughs> like it's like the sales, you gotta have the base level. Yeah. Okay. I believe we have a the Tony Pappas uh, and a great interview so far. Thanks. Um, Curious. <laughs> no, no pressure. <laughs> uh, Gail, Gail spoke of the fact that, you know, engineering teams, there's never extra capacity. There's never free time. There's never, you know, uh, a, a non-busy moment. Uh, at Trello, how do you go about thinking about true forward-looking R&D, stuff that isn't going to be productizable in the next six to 12 months, stuff that may and likely will fail, but with an 18 to 24-month horizon? How do you allocate resources that, to that, plan that, give the go-ahead to what's good and pause things that aren't. It's especially hard at a company when you have so many things to do and there's, there's so many opportunities to improve upon what you, what you currently have and ideas and there's, just, there's always going to be a longer list of things to do than, and so how do you carve out time? You know, I think that's been a cultural thing from very early days of the Creek Weeks, but also even in Trello, Joel would tell people very early on, he'd be like, you've got to shoot gamma rays at Trello, you know, mutate it, figure out what works, what doesn't work. It's okay if we shut something down. So very early on, we actually, I don't know if you know what WebRTC is, but there's this like video chat that you can do in browsers and like Chrome supports it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's built into the browsers. It's like a standard, but it's kind of, it's still a little janky. It's not, it's not, um, it's not like you're using Zoom or, uh, you know, 
Skype or something like that, or Google Hangouts. It's like, it kind of breaks sometimes. You have to refresh your browser a bunch. But early on, we were like, hey, let's play with that and see if you can go to a Trello board. And then you could hit a button, and you could all appear in a meeting. It'd be like a video conference at the bottom. So we actually built that. And we used it internally. And we realized that the experience was, it was cool when it worked. But when it didn't work, um, it wasn't our fault. It was like the browse, like WebRTC just wasn't prime time yet. And so, um, but we knew if we shipped it, that the pain would fall on us. Like people would not, would be mad at Trello. Not they wouldn't be like, oh, you implemented this with WebRTC, so mm. clearly that's not Trello's fault, right? They'd be like, <laughs> they'd be like sending support emails, and they'd be like, this is your your video chat stinks. Yeah. Um, I, I think about that a lot actually when you're talking about the features before, and you're like, what about when you add features? I think about you know I you know. I guess in the developer tool space, like Jira is the, the, the big elephant. And um, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, ugh, like Jira stinks, you know, like, and they hate it. It's like a lot of times it's very configurable. So you can build out this whole um, workflow. You can add custom fields and make them required. And you can sort of like build it the way that you want it. And a lot of these organizations, you have like an IT person or maybe a PM that they're like, they build the perfect structure. And then they're like, voila, like use this tool. and then. Everyone's like, this is convoluted and weird and messy and just gets in my way. And it's not really the tool's fault. It's like the psychosis of the person that implemented this crazy structure. But no one blames the IT person, in most cases. They blame the tool. And they say, this tool is too complicated. Um, so it's, it's a very fine line when you're building out these features and you're giving people complexity and what they do with it. Um, you know, there's some, you know, as a, as a, as a developer, there's like interesting ways to deal with that. Like if you're in Slack and you type at channel and then a message, it notifies everyone in that channel. And that's like ripe for abuse. You know, you're like, you just woke up people that are in Australia because they got their phone starts buzzing because they got a Slack message and you didn't even know. Um, <clears throat> and Slack added this fun little thing where if you try to do that, a rooster pops up and it says, you're going to interrupt. 15 people in 22 times, or actually 22 people in 15 time zones. Do you really want to do this? And then you have to like say yes. Now you can still be a jerk, <laughs> but <laughs> at least you know you're being a jerk. You know, so I yeah. think like as a you know, there's a humanization of software that's going on. Like certainly with all the tools and the the way that we build software has gotten the abstractions have gotten better and better and better. So it's much easier to build something today. And it's like, well, what are you offering then? What is your viewpoint? How is it presented? The marketing, the brand of your tool, the, the voice of your tool is so much more important nowadays than it was before when if you built a database back website, that was like awesome. Like, you know how to code in Perl? You know what CGI bin is? Like, wow, you can make a lot of money, you know? Um, those days are gone. Um, so, uh, this is a tangent, sorry. Okay. <laughs> but, All right, we have a question over here. I was really um, touched my heart to hear th about the reason you started the company with Joel being to create a place that you want to work. That's the same reason I created uh, my company a year and a half ago. So I'm curious, as you've gone through this experience of actually like sprouting multiple organizations that came came out, um, any any advice for someone who who started with that mission? Like it's not it wasn't about the product in the beginning. How do you stay true to that? And and a slight detail, like I'm curious about B corporations, like in your experience starting the, all of these organizations, is that a, a thing that would be useful to look at? Well, did you say C Corps? B, B Corp, Benefit Corporations. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know much about B Corps. Um, 
I'll tell you this, though, that when, so we ran Fog Creek for 10 years, and when we spun off Stack Overflow, that was, that was really a joint venture between Jeff Atwood, who writes a blog, Coding Horror, a very famous blogger at the time, and Joel, and the programmers at, at Fog Creek. Um, but when we spun it off, there was some employees that went with it, and uh, including Joel, is spending most of his time. And that was actually a very tough time for us as a business inside culturally, like splitting off the leadership and some of the employees. And it created this like us versus them. And even though it was the same people that you were just working with, and um, it, it, it was hard. So when we did it again with Trello, we sort of learned our lesson and, and kind of tried to give people a lot of information up front, over, tell them you know a lot more about what was going to happen so they didn't have a lot of questions. It was much smoother, but having done it twice, I definitely do not want to do it again. Um, it just—it also creates a vacuum. Like you need a leadership vacuum to run an organization like that. So, um, you know, there's Joel and there's me, and then there's our time at Fog Creek, and there's already sort of like constraints on on our time and where we're focused and what we're spending it on. So, um, yeah, but don't underestimate the cultural impact and the pain of of doing that. Okay, I think we have one more that we have time for. Over here. You, you mentioned that Trello is uh, at the moon right now and headed to Mars. How, how do you set the rhythm for your team and, and, and kind of share the story of sticking along that journey to them to Mars? What was, the, what was the first part of your question? You, me you mentioned that Trello is right now, you know, it's launched, it's gotten to the moon, oh, and right. now you're headed to Mars. How, how do you engage the team and, and tell them a story, share with them a story that they stick with? So uh, specifically, I sit down with every new hire uh, the, or a group of new hires, and I tell them the story in person. Um, it's called Story Time with Michael. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one thing. But as we've grown, actually, it's kind of interesting because you realize that you have to insert formalities for things that just used to happen informally. And that's hit, that's hit us uh, because of, we're mostly remote. 60% of the company is remote. And so you realize like, you have to do things that you wouldn't need to do if you're all in the same place. Like, Every Friday, we, we pair up four people together to just shoot the shit over a video conference. Like, don't, it's like, an, it's like a half an hour at work, but it's not for work. Just talk about whatever. And it's just to try to create a connection between a salesperson who would never talk to a dev person because they don't work together. And they're not in the same office, so they're not going to hit the coffee machine, you know? Um, or they're not going to have lunch together. So we had to invent things to try to create connections between people and build that culture. Um, we do town halls every month, so we have a town hall once a month. But that even, as you get in the early days, that was like a two-way street, and now it's just a presentation, because there's too many people. There's 100 people at the company, so they're not gonna speak up at town hall. Um, so now I actually do skip-level meetings with the teams. So I've, there's like the actual individual contributors, there's a level, level of management, and I meet directly with like the pieces of the sales team or pieces of the marketing team and just kind of talk about higher level vision, what's going on this week, and I try to do that once a month too. But as you scale, you just sort of change up what you're doing and realize where there's friction and try to come up with something to help with that friction. Okay. Michael, thank you very much. For Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.